0: Good evening. Um, You'll want to have 1 Timothy chapter 6 uh, open. It's on page 1194 in those Pew Bibles. And just as we're turning that up, uh, shall we pray for God's help as we begin? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for giving us your word, and we praise you for your spirit who illuminates it to us and applies it to our hearts. Uh, We pray that He would be active this evening as we Look at this passage. Uh, We pray that he would bring change uh, for your glory. Amen. Stop. Have you ever heard someone shout that kind of an urgent warning? Um, Actually, on my way to church this evening, uh, as I was crossing the Newtonards Road, I was actually conscious of that kind of thing. It was wet, it was dark, the cars were racing along, and I was stepping out into the middle of the road, and I can imagine someone saying to me, Stop! Get back on the road as a car kind of comes screeching that i hadn't seen i actually genuinely do worry every time i cross that road um anyway the passage we've just read um is the climax of this letter to one timothy and it's a passage that's chock full of things to teach us um things about materialism about generosity about living in light of eternity of god's majesty and if we covered it all we'd actually be here all evening i reckon so where do we start Well, a good place, whenever you're looking at the Bible, is often to start with trying to work out why has the author written it. And this is actually one of the easier passages to do that with. Uh, It all centers on verse 11, so have a look at that verse with me. Paul says to Timothy, But you, man of God, flee from all this, all the stuff before, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. The heart of this passage is an urgent warning from paul uh, the apostle to timothy uh, the leader of this church in ephesus in turkey and he's, he's he's telling timothy you need to watch out you need to flee from something and you need to pursue something else and so the whole passage is really a contrast between what to flee from and what to pursue stop get back on the road so we're going to use uh, verse 11 as a window into the passage uh, this evening. We're going to look at what Timothy, as a man of God, as a kind of a minister, is meant to flee from and what he's meant to pursue. Now I'm aware that this evening uh, most of us are not ministers or elders in the church. Uh, but I make no, t- no apology for focusing on what Paul says to Timothy. That is uh, what Paul does. And actually Paul knew that that was vital for the health of the church at large. Just have a look at the final words of the letter. Verse 21. We've looked at these before, but Paul says, Grace be with you. And that word you is actually plural in Greek. It's grace be with you all, some translations say. And so that gives the game away. This letter is not just for Timothy, it's a letter for the whole congregation to overhear as Paul gives this urgent warning, this appeal to Timothy. And Paul wanted this whole letter to be heard by the church in Ephesus. Because he knew that the leadership of the church was vital to God's purposes in the world. That's what we've been seeing throughout 1 Timothy, if you've been with us uh, before. Let's have a look at our diagram to capture this. Um, God wants to save the world. uh, And he does that by committing the the truth about Jesus to the local church. uh, But where the the leaders of a church go, uh, a church will tend to follow. And so that makes good leadership a noble task. Uh, A church with bad leaders uh, will tend to slide into unhealthy controversies um, and introspection and just care about themselves as uh, human agendas swamp what God is wanting to do in the church. But a church with good leaders uh, will actually have a healthy focus on the gospel. Uh, It'll have a godly way of relating to one another as God's family. And will have a concern for those outside the church. And really the leadership, Paul says, of the church is what will do that. We were thinking this morning about some of that in 1 Timothy and Titus. And this is important because as we look around us today here in Northern Ireland, we can see these two paths before us, uh, these two sets of leadership and two different ways of doing church. And so Paul's appeal to Timothy is not just for Timothy or for ministers um, or just for the first century. It's for us now if we have any care or concern about what God is doing in the world. Uh, And so this evening, we need to listen to this appeal uh, so that we can encourage our leaders like Christoph and the session uh, to to heed this appeal, to listen to it, and also so that we can follow where those guys are leading us. If you're not a Christian here this evening, I think this will be helpful for you as well. Uh, I hope you'll see in this passage something of what it is that makes the church different to what the rest of the world is offering. So what is Timothy to flee first of all? Well, he's to flee from conceitedness and greed. Um, Those are the two big things that come up in verses 3 to 10. Flee, conceitedness, and greed. And this really matters. I could have called this section How a Minister Can Lose Their Faith in Two Easy Steps. So let's have a look at verse 3 to see uh, how that might be. Paul says, If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ, And to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Paul's using a kind of if-then logic to explain how slippery the slope is. He says, if anyone teaches otherwise, uh, contrary to what Paul has been saying in 1 Timothy, uh, and does not agree to the sound instruction of Jesus and to godly teaching, well, then they are conceited, Do you see that there in verse 4, and understand nothing. The first step towards a minister losing their faith is when they start thinking that they know better than Jesus and decide they're going to just teach different things to what Jesus taught So, picture a mountain, uh, and at the peak uh, is agreeing with Jesus. And Paul's saying it's a very slippery slope. It's easy to go away from that. And so we can imagine that if someone is teaching something different to Jesus, they've kind of slid down the slope a few feet. But actually, that's not quite right. Paul's actually stronger than that, isn't he? He says, if a minister consciously rejects what Jesus is saying uh, and teaches something else, they've actually gone off the cliff entirely. You see, he says they understand nothing. The reason he says that is because the whole point of being a Christian is that you submit yourself to Jesus as Lord. You believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so you can't just pick and choose which bits of Jesus' teaching you like. If you do that, you show that you understand nothing. Um, nikki Gumble, who many of us will know as the founder of the alpha course that's been so popular across the world and um, posted this quote from uh, the early church theologian augustine on twitter this week um, augustine said if you believe uh, what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like it's not the gospel you believe but yourself Now, before we move on, we need to get clear that this passage is not saying that we as individual Christians need to have our theology kind of 100% perfect, otherwise we're all going to hell. Paul's not saying that. But what he is saying is that we should be suspicious of those who hear what Jesus says on a topic and then proceed to teach something very different. They might sound very clever, they might look very religious, but Paul says see through that. They're actually showing they understand nothing if they think they can pick and choose from Jesus' teaching. It's very scary, isn't it? And it's actually very scary, because the kinds of things that Paul is talking about in 1 Timothy are not the kind of basics of just believe and you'll be saved. Um, Let's have our second diagram up, please. Uh, Here they are. This is a a busy diagram, but it kind of tries to sum up some of what we've seen in 1 Timothy. These are the kind of topics that we've been looking at. Um, the, The role of men and women in the church... The importance of a gospel concern for the lost, the need for church leaders uh, who have honourable characters, the danger of letting the church be burdened by care that is not appropriate. Um, thanks, Graham. Those are the things. These are things that are debated in the church now, just as they were back in Ephesus. Um, and so we, we need to be very cautious. We need to make sure we don't make the mistake of just saying, "Okay, everyone's wrong." we need to make sure that we're not the conceited ones who have just assumed that we understand what Jesus is saying and everyone else doesn't. But the fact still remains that if a church leader does choose to ignore what Jesus is saying in 1 Timothy, they're going against him. And that's a step towards them losing their faith. This is not a comfortable thing uh, for me to say. It's not very politically correct, to be honest. But we ought to be alert to this idea, Paul wants us to be alert to it, uh, that it's possible for the guy in the pulpit to have been robbed of the truth and have a corrupt mind. You can't just stick on the radio or download a sermon from the internet uh, and assume that the guy is telling us about Jesus just because he's got the, the word rev or pastor in front of his name. Um, This also shows us that we ought to take these things that we've been looking at over the past few months in 1 Timothy pretty seriously, shouldn't we? They are nitty-gritty, some of them. They are quite practical topics. And they are things that Christians will have disagreements about. But it's very important that we as individuals do get clear on what we think Jesus is saying and make sure we're not rejecting what he's saying. Perhaps there were one or two topics as we went through 1 Timothy that you actually thought hang on I don't know what I think about that. I don't know whether that's right. I don't know if I can accept that. Well can I encourage you to make a priority of looking into those topics a bit more maybe reading a book or having a chat to Christoph uh, for some suggestions about how you might think about it a little bit more Uh, until you get a sense of what Jesus is saying and making sure that you can agree with him. Or it might perhaps you you thought that I or one of the other preachers as we went through 1 Timothy actually got the passages wrong. Well, do come and talk to us about that. We're not infallible at all. And we want to make sure that we're getting Jesus' words right. So do come and talk to us about that. Um, Actually, the the two times I've preached a sermon in the morning service, I have both times had people coming up to me afterwards uh, with a few questions. And that's quite a scary thing for a preacher. But it's a really good sign of a healthy church when that happens. So Timothy needs to flee, and ministers need to flee, and congregations need to flee from the arrogance that rejects Jesus' words. And if you wanted a further motivation to do that, uh, you can see see some of that as you scan through verses 4 and 5. A church that rejects Jesus' words will be one that indulges in controversies and quarrels. There will be envy, strife, constant friction uh, in that church. But it's only really at the end that Paul... Identifies what's driving a lot of this, and this is the second step uh, for 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 a minister to lose their faith. Uh, Have a look at the end of verse five. Um, These people have been robbed of the truth and think that godliness is a means to financial gain. The key to it all was that these bad leaders had started equating serving God with serving money. You couldn't really tell the difference between whether they were following Christ. Or following the cash. They were lovers of money. And sadly, this is common enough in churches today. Uh, I used to live in London in the East End, and I was familiar with those kinds of churches where the pastor would drive a pretty flash car. Um, I've heard recently of a church in Northern Ireland where uh, you were actually offered a refund on your tithe if you hadn't had your blessing that week. This is around us, this kind of teaching. And it's wrong. This life is not about amassing riches. Have a look at verse 6. The Christian life, and life in general, is about godliness with contentment. That is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Riches won't last. And so the better path is to look to God to give us all that we need and to be content with that. But sadly, people make the mistake of not doing that. And that is often a fatal mistake. Verse 9. People want to get, who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So here's step two of how a minister can lose their faith in two easy steps. Uh, They can start to love money more than faithfulness to Jesus. Really, they're two sides of the same coin. Who's your God? Who's your Lord? Is it Jesus? Do you trust him and everything he says? Or is it money, and will you follow that, even if it costs you your faith? This can be very subtle. Um, here's a minister of a small congregation uh, who's short of cash and who can't afford to go on holiday abroad. Uh, he's got one or two uh, elders in the uh, on session who basically bankroll the congregation. Well, the good news for this minister is that uh, they're actually talking about increasing his stipend, which would be great, he'd be able to go on holiday. But there's a problem. Um, he's chosen to teach on 1 Timothy, and he hasn't really planned ahead, And he's suddenly discovered it's got loads of teaching on eldership, which he thinks the elders won't like very much. And so what does he do? Well, when he gets to that passage, he actually kind of just dismisses it with a wave of his hand. It doesn't offend anyone. And no one's really any wiser. But he's gone against his conscience. He's rejected what Jesus has to say. And he's led his congregation astray. Now they don't really understand how important it is to have godly elders and so god's purposes in the world are well or in that local church have been damaged god will still find a way but he hasn't been faithful to what he's been called to do all because he's prioritized money and paul says beware that kind of teacher for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil I'm actually told that since the recession the number of uh, applicants for ordained ministry in the Presbyterian church has actually increased significantly. Now I'm sure no one has kind of consciously decided to join PCI because they want to get rich Um, but I must say for myself um, when I look at the way PCI churches look at tend to look look after their ministers I must say it it makes it more attractive to uh, be ordained in PCI and I say this not because uh, you know you need to watch out for money for prosperity teachers all the time next time you get an assistant minister but this is closer than we think these pressures all of us know the pressures of money and ministers have them too and we need to watch out that we're not being led by people who love money so church leaders congregations flee from all this Uh, And instead, what should we do? Well, Paul then moves on in the rest of the passage to uh, be a bit more positive and explain what it is that Timothy and ministers and all of us should pursue. And the answer is pursue godliness, I think. Uh, Have a look at verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. That's all quite general, uh, just a general appeal that all of us as Christians would want to follow. But it then sharpens up a lot more for Timothy in verse 14. Paul says, Keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. For Timothy, faithfulness to Jesus now means keeping a particular command uh, that he has as a minister. And we saw what that command is in chapter 1. Um, Way back we saw that he is to command people not to teach false doctrines anymore. And in verse 20 of this chapter, we get another expression of it. So have a look down there with me. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from the godless chatter and opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. So picture an heirloom, uh, maybe a precious watch, Uh, and you're a child, and imagine your dad has given it to you to look after while he's away on holiday, and you would look after it, wouldn't you? You'd hold a really tight grasp on it, you'd polish it, you'd keep it under your bed, Uh, you'd make sure that you could give it back to him, pristine and spotless. And in the same way, Timothy has been given something to guard, something to look after and to treasure. And what he's been given to God is probably the church's faithfulness to the gospel, to Jesus. And he needs to protect it from false teaching around him, or in the church, in fact. All through the letter, we've seen how it is that Timothy is meant to go about that. He's meant to give himself to growing in godliness, to laboring and striving for godliness. And he's meant to give himself to preaching and teaching the scriptures, even when that is not popular. And the question Paul is now trying to answer is, how will he keep going with that? How will Timothy keep this command without spot or blame when so many people in the church will oppose him? And so if the first point could have been how a minister can lose their faith in two easy steps, uh, this point is all about how a minister can keep going when it's really difficult. Uh, And the secret, uh, Paul says, is to recognize the importance of what you signed up to as a Christian. And to recognize who it is you're serving. Um, Those uh, two points come in verses 12 and then verse 13 to 16. So we'll look at them in turn. So have a look at verse 12 with me. Paul says, Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So here Paul is calling Timothy back. Say, Timothy, remember when you made that good confession that moment when you said that Jesus Christ was Lord, when you publicly identified yourself with him in the presence of many witnesses, probably his baptism. And Paul stresses there how important that moment was. That was a moment when he was being called by God to eternal life. It was a moment when he was in front of many people who heard him confess that Jesus was Lord That his master was Lord, and that his Lord was Jesus and not money. And as I'm speaking, I'm actually thinking back to the time when I first made that good confession. Um, I don't remember saying the words, but I do remember the people that were there. I do remember the significance of that moment. And so when I'm tempted to sell out on Jesus, Paul would encourage me to actually look back to when I began and to remember that when I began, I thought it was a serious business. That I actually, and actually, there was something very serious happening, even if I didn't realize it, that God was calling me to eternal life. I need to remember that I've publicly engaged myself to Christ and to cling on to the eternal life that's found in him. And I'll just take a moment um, to say in passing that if you're a follower of Jesus this evening, um, but you've never had the opportunity to publicly make that good confession um, then do speak to Christoph afterwards and there are, there are ways that uh, we can help you to do that. Um, having reminded Timothy of his first commitment to Christ, um, something that all of us can look back to, um, Paul now gives uh, Timothy a new charge that he has particularly as a minister and this new charge is to guard the gospel as a man of God and that's in verse uh, 14 but then either side of that uh, Paul says who it is that Timothy will be serving as he does that. So have a look at verse 13. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. What does Timothy need to do when he's tempted to give up? Well, he needs to remember that he's serving God, the King of kings, the creator of the entire universe. His Lord is one who is totally above us, the source of all power, who has existed from all eternity and will exist for all eternity and who is utterly holy that's who he's serving and he should be conscious that he's serving jesus christ the son of god who was a man just as we are paul takes us back to the time when jesus was standing before the roman governor pilate on trial for his life you can read the account in mark 15 pilate asked jesus Are you the king of the Jews? You can imagine the silence in the courtroom. To answer yes means death. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. Jesus, like Timothy, made the good confession. He said that he was Lord. And that confession, that faithfulness, well, we know where it led him. It led him to the cross. It is the minister's particular charge to guard the gospel uh, with the elders, Uh, but it is all of our job uh, to serve God. Um, And so if we're finding it a struggle uh, to be faithful in our Christian life or in our ministry, well, we need to remember that we serve a king who struggled just as we do, but was faithful, who made the good confession. When it feels like God is laying extra burdens on us, uh, just as he did on Timothy, Well, remember that he isn't laying anything on us, that he didn't lay on his own son. And one day, the burden will be laid down. As you see that there in verse 14. Keep this command until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. One day, we will enter into our eternal rest at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And we'll hear that final verdict. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's how Timothy is going to persevere, by remembering those things. Um, For many of us, uh, these final verses in verse 17 to 19 um, express what it will look like for us to put faithfulness to Jesus into practice when it comes to our money. Uh, Let me just read those for us. life. That's fairly fairly straightforward to understand, I think, isn't it? All centering on putting our hope in God uh, rather than in money. Easy to understand, but hard, I think, to put into practice. If we walk down the street or switch on the TV, we'll hear adverts uh, telling us, to or encouraging us in our love of money. And so I'm going to take a few minutes now just to encourage us Uh, to put our hope in God, to love God, and to trust him, uh, and using this passage. So I think Paul points out that that God is the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. He is the supreme lord. Money poses as a very powerful lord, doesn't it? It promises to change our life, to give us power to control our circumstances. But the reality is, it can't. It's not very deep is it it's very uncertain and it cannot improve our characters it can only temporarily improve our circumstances money's glory pales into insignificance when you compare it with the king of kings the one who dwells in inapproachable light the one who's before all things and from whom all things hold together paul says he is the only lord don't run into the arms of money, however much it dangles these things before us. And he's also a generous lord. Somebody once said that money is a, a good servant, but a bad master. And that's because money has a tendency uh, to make you want more money and to devote yourself more and more to money as you compare yourself with others. It takes from you your energy and your emotion and your joy if you'll let it that's what Paul says here he says give yourself to money and you'll have all kinds of desires and you'll end up being pierced by many griefs. So here is Andrew Carnegie who at the time was one of the wealthiest men in the world. I don't think he was a Christian but he said this no idol is more debasing than the worship of money. To continue much longer overwhelmed by business cares and with most of my thoughts upon the way to make more money in the shortest time. Must degrade me beyond hope of recovery. He was concerned that his character was going to become degraded by love of money. Money is a bad master. And compare that with the kindness and generosity of our God. From eternity, the Father has given himself to the Son in the Spirit. And in the Spirit, the Son has given himself to the Father. And together, Father, Son, and Spirit have given us everything that we see. All of it comes from them for our enjoyment. They love to give. And in order to continue to give us life, even when we had turned away from God, the Father sent the Son in the power of the Spirit, ending up standing before Pontius Pilate and being put on trial for his life. His generosity led him to be pierced with many griefs for us. Money will never ever do that for us. It will never bear our sins in its body on the tree. So as we come to a close, let's settle it in our minds this evening that however much money may seem to offer, however much it dangles things in front of us, however much it may seem to dominate our lives if we don't have very much of it, Let's settle in our minds that we will not be lovers of money. Let's settle that we won't make it our master, but we'll keep it where it belongs, a good servant. And let's determine to grow in our love for our God, to put our hope in him, and to continue steadfastly serving Jesus, who gave himself for us. Um, And let's pray, uh, particularly for the leaders of our church, but also for all of us, um, that we might flee conceit and greed um, and pursue uh, that call to faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Well, let's pray for ourselves and particularly for our leaders now, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what we've learned uh, from you uh, in 1 Timothy, however much we've we've been here. Uh, Father, we thank you for what we've heard from you this evening, uh, where you encourage us to put our hope in you. Lord, we've heard challenging things this evening, uh, and all of us will feel uh, like we've got something that is dangerous, something to watch, I I suspect. Um, And so, Lord, please be with us. Please would you be our vision. Please would you be our hope. Lord, we pray that we would see you more as you truly are. Pray that we'd see your power and your grace, so that we might love you and put our hope in you, and not in the things of this world. We pray uh, for the leaders of our church that they would flee from all of those things and pursue uh, your call. Please would they pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. We pray that they would guard the gospel. And that this church would be one that remains faithful to Jesus and continues to be a place where people hear about him. We ask that for the glory of your name. Amen.